0: Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale Audio Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. This weekend, we're continuing our series entitled Needy by Design, where we are all coming to understand that God created us to be needy. Now some of you still have not owned that statement because you're still convinced that needy equates to weak. That if I'm needy, that means I'm weak. That is not true. If I'm needy, that means I'm human. I was made that way. You need oxygen to survive. And if you're not, if the needs God created you, I'll say it this way, if the needs God created you to have, on this earth are not being met it would be like trying to live with little oxygen God created you to need these things and a couple of weeks ago I gave you all homework that if you haven't done this yet I I really want you to do it sit down I gave everybody what I call the seven day survival guide and it asked this question what do you need every seven days in the six major areas of your life what do you need in order to feel like you're on top of your game or, or Energize, whatever adjectives you'd use to describe when you're feeling healthy and whole. What do you need every seven days in the six major areas of life? And in the series, we're walking through those six areas and taking a look at the pillars in each area that God created us to build our lives around and upon. In the last message, we talked about the spiritual pillars. This weekend, we're talking about the emotional pillars. And really, we're just talking about one pillar specifically because as it relates to the emotional pillars God created us to build our lives upon and around, there is one and then there is the rest. There is one and then there are the rest of the pillars and that one is so head and shoulders above all the others. It's actually something that as believers we were created to be known by. And the pillar we're talking about this weekend is the pillar, the emotional pillar of peace. The peace of God. And Philippians chapter four helps us understand it. Some call Philippians four the peace chapter. And it serves as kind of a roadmap for establishing and maintaining the peace of God in our hearts and minds. So let's take a look in Philippians chapter four starting in verse 6. It says this, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you, now some of you need to hear this, then you will experience God's peace Every one of us can experience the peace of God in our hearts and minds, no matter how much anxiety, how much worry, how much depression, how much fear you're battling presently. Every one of us can experience God's peace, which exceeds, Scripture says, anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. I don't know if you've noticed this lately, but we live in an extremely anxious world. Anxiety is everywhere. It's in every neighborhood, in every school, in every workplace, in every grocery store. Anxiety is everywhere. I wanna show you some of the statistics and if you're battling anxiety or worry or depression or fear, I want you to know you're not alone. But I also want you to know God did not intend you to stay there. Now, I believe today that the Spirit of God is going to liberate some people today from the spirit of anxiety, the spirit of depression, the spirit of fear, the spirit of worry. But look at just how affected our nation is by anxiety. Statistics say that just over 18% of adults in this country battle an anxiety disorder of some kind. General anxiety disorder affects 6.8 million adults or 3.1 percent of the U.S. population or the equivalent of about nine people in this room. Panic disorder affects 6 million adults or 2.7 percent of the U.S. population or the equivalent of about eight people in this room. Social anxiety disorder affects 15 million adults or about 6.8 percent Of the population or the equivalent of 20 people in this room. Specific phobias affect 19 million adults or 8.7 percent of the U.S. population or about 26 people in this room. OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, affects 2.2 million adults or 1 percent of the U.S. population or the equivalent of three people in this room. You're probably sitting next to all three of them. PTSD affects 7.7 million adults, or 3.5% of the US population, or the equivalent of 10 people in this room. The leading cause of disability in the United States for ages 15 to 44 is major depressive disorder, which affects more than 16.1 million American adults, or about 6.7% of the population, which represents about 20 people in this room. Persistent depressive disorder affects approximately 1.5% of our population, about 3.3 million, representing about four people in this room. But here's the kicker. Statistics say that just over 18% of adults battle anxiety in some way, shape, or form. Here's the even worse news. Between teens that are age 13 and 18, over 25% of them says they battle anxiety, an anxiety disorder in some way, shape, or form. Here's what that means. This problem is getting worse. There is an all-out assault, an all-out anxiety attack, if you will, by Satan himself. And the reason for this attack is as obvious as it is simple. Here it is. Satan listened to Jesus, he heard him. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27. I am leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so do not be troubled or afraid. The root word of anxiety comes from a word that is close to worry. The, word, the, the root of anxiety is worry. And this Greek word is translated anxious. And, and the word picture is this, to be pulled apart. And here's the picture. We are pulled in one direction by our hopes, but we are pulled in another direction by our fears. Thus we are pulled apart. The old English root, For the word that where we get the word worry means to strangle. And if you've ever worried or struggled with anxiety, you're fully aware of the physical consequences of worry and anxiety. Consequences like headaches, neck pains, ulcers, even back pains. Worry affects our thinking, our digestion, and even our coordination. From the spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking and wrong feeling about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. Now think about this for a moment. Have you ever really been worried and anxious about something? I mean, where your blood pressure was going up and and your heart was racing, you're just really battling being anxious about this situation and and you confide in someone you love and, and you share it with them and their response to you is this, Quit worrying, and while they're saying it, you're thinking, I'm about to make you worry with what I do with my fist in your face in a moment. Yeah, I'm not a violent person, but you know that's what you're thinking when someone says when you're riddled with worry and fear and anxiety, and their response is, "Uh, quit worrying about it. Unfortunately, that does not work because worry is an inside job. And simply attempting to quit worrying does nothing to remove the thief from your life. So simply trying to quit worrying, not only does it not remove them, it actually enables the thief to hang around for even longer and steal more joy and peace. It's not as simple as quit worrying. And Philippians chapter four helps us understand that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. But it's not as simple as just, okay, great, I just assume your peace is gonna do it. There are actually steps we must take in order to make sure that the peace of God is established as the perimeter around our heart and our minds. And Philippians four outlines the roadmap. Here's the first step we have to take. Right praying right praying. Philippians four verse six, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Now, when you hear the term right praying, some of you might immediately start thinking of the word wrong, wrong praying. If you hear right praying, you just start thinking, well, if there's a right way to do it, I'm probably doing it the wrong way. I'm doing it incorrectly. I don't want you to think like that. Here's what I'm talking about. It's not just enough to pray any old prayer. Think about this, you already know this. When you find yourself praying, God, thank you so much for the spicy chicken sandwich with no pickles from Chick-fil-A that you in your infinite wisdom, mercy, and grace decided to bless my life with, with extra barbecue sauce. God, oh, oh, God as I'm praying about my chicken sandwich, I feel the Spirit of God liberating me from the bondage of anxiety and worry and fear. I, this is a, is that how it works? You're praying over your meal, and you just feel liberated from the spirit of anxiety, worry, fear, and depression? No, that's not how it works. It's not just praying any old prayer. There are ways we can pray that help us experience the power of God. Now, I'm not giving you an exhaustive list because I don't have the time to in this message, but let me show you a couple of steps that we see in Philippians 4. Ways to experience power in prayer when we need it most. Here's the first of the three steps I'm gonna give you. Step one, let it go. When you come into God's presence in prayer. Step one, let it go. That's what Philippians 4 verse six says, don't worry about anything. Let it go. First Peter chapter five verse seven, I feel like I'm gonna start singing the song right now, let it go from, from the movie. If you have young kids, you know what I'm talking about. First Peter 5:7. give all your worries and cares to God. For he cares about you. Give all of your worries, everything that's weighing you down. God did not create you to hold on to those things. Give them to him. Psalm 34 verse 4, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. A big part of experiencing power in prayer is letting go of that which has a hold on you. Let go of it. He's an incredible father who desires to take away the things that are weighing you down. Here's step number two. After you let it go, let it in. Psalm 94 verse 19, in the multitude of my anxieties within me, Your comforts delight my soul. Okay, here's the picture. Let it go, let it in. Let it go, let it in. It's like furniture, all right? Letting it go is like that old couch that has nasty, smelly stains on it. It was cool in the 80s. And by the end of the 80s, it was no longer cool, but you keep thinking it's cool, but now we're in 2017 and you know it's not cool because nobody likes that couch, okay? Letting it go, getting rid of a bad, nasty, smelly, annoying piece of furniture. Letting it in isn't just about letting it go, it represents letting the Spirit of God move in new furniture. So as you let go of the old nasty couch of anxiety, you allow the Holy Spirit to move in, bring in a new couch of rest and naps and peace. Letting go of the old, letting the Holy Spirit bring in that which your life was created to be built around and upon. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying it right there. Let it go, let it in. Let it go, let it in. Give me your heavy burdens, and I will give you my rest. Give me your burdens, I'll give you my rest. Give me your burdens, I'll give you my rest. So here's the question. Why would any of us leave our prayer time still carrying those heavy burdens? What if you had a rule in your time with the Lord where you said, I'm not leaving this room until this heavy burden lifts? I know what some of you are thinking. Preston, I'd never leave that room. I just always feel it. Well, I wonder if it's because you've adopted the unhealthy habit of leaving The presence of God still carrying that which he's tried to take from you. That's what anxiety is. Listen closely. Anxiety comes when you attempt to carry something only God can control. We become anxious because I'm carrying something. It's crushing my soul. And every morning, the God of the universe stands over me and says, Preston, can I have this? Please give it to me. I'm tired of seeing you crushed with this. Give it to me. How crazy would it be if I looked him in the eyes and said, I'm good. It's okay, I gotta rush to work. I don't have time for you to take all my worries and burdens, my anxieties and fears. I gotta get to the office. So unless you can kinda take them on the on the way, I gotta run. And so we go to the office, we go to school, we go about our day, carrying things. God was begging to take from us. Let it go, let it in. Jesus makes it obvious. Give me your burdens, I'll give you my rest. And when you do those two things, in a time of prayer with the Lord, there is something that just automatically happens. When you experience what it's like, God to take the things that you don't want to carry any longer and then you see him bring in the things you've been dreaming of building your life around and upon there's a third step that just automatically seems to happen let it out Philippians 4 verse 6 says thank him for all he has done two verses earlier in verse 4 it says rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice I love the way the message translates this. It says, celebrate God all day, every day. Like I celebrate the Cowboys. Notice, did anybody notice that the color of this building is kind of like Cowboys? That, That has nothing to do with this message. It's just because it's God's favorite team, that's all. Where were we? Philippians 4 verse 4. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean revel in him, revel in him. When you see God take away things that are crushing you and then bring in light things that bring light into your life, it just naturally starts to happen. You find yourself reveling out loud, just shouting his praise, celebrating his goodness. I wonder if the reason so many of us are weighed down is we spend more time in our prayer time talking about our problems than proclaiming the perfection and power of our almighty God. I wonder if you spend all your time when you're alone with the Lord talking about your problems, really what you're doing, It's holding on, holding on, holding on, holding on. You think you're letting go, but if you just keep talking about it, it's evidence, all the evidence you need. You're not letting go, which means you can't let in. There's no room. You've crowded out the space with things he wants you to let go of. When I let go and I let in, it's amazing how often his praise comes out of my lips and out of my heart. Right praying is step number one. Here's step number two. to Establishing and maintaining the peace of God in your life. Right thinking. Right thinking. Philippians 4 verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. And if you battle in your thought life, if you feel like someone else has more control of your thoughts and your mind than you do, and it's not God, I want you to pay very close attention to this list that God gives you and me about how to regain control of our thoughts, of our mind. Fix your thoughts on what is true, on what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The Greek word here for mind depicts that the mind is the central control center human activity. And it it was just kind of a a known thing in the Greek culture that since it was that important, it was just understood that the condition of the mind oftentimes controlled the condition of life. Here's another way to say it. The quality of your life will never exceed the quality of your thoughts. That is not some hocus-pocus get well, self-help, one-liner. I have seen this. God gave us strong and sharp minds, so strong and so sharp that we can look at a lie and call it truth. That's power. When I was growing up, I don't even think I was 10 years old yet, and I saw the movie Jaws for the first time. And I I don't do well with horror flicks at all. I hate horror flicks. I don't want that garbage in my mind because it keeps me up at night even at nearly 40 years old. I'm not into that stuff. Everybody running around, dressing like clowns. I, 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 listen, I've got 15 guns at my house. If you don't wanna see any of them, don't come running to my door in a clown outfit, all right? But the first time I saw Jaws, uh, the, the, you're gonna think I, I'm a crazy person. I, I, it's just what happened. I watched Jaws, and for several years after, and I didn't tell anyone, but when I would jump into a pool off the diving board, I would immediately sprint swim and I would get out of the pool off that ladder faster than anybody you've ever seen in your life. I tried to make it look cool, but it was not cool because it was just too, too fast and frenetic to be cool. All right, and here's why. Because when I jumped into the pool, here's the way my mind went. My thoughts went like this. Shark, water, me, water, shark, me, get out. That's how my thoughts went. I, I, I was not old enough to understand that sharks don't thrive in chlorinated water. But I was convinced if a shark was ever going to survive in a pool, it was probably going to be the one I jump into. And I know what you're thinking. That sounds crazy. Ludicrous. So do all of the lies we convince ourselves are true. Some of us are so convinced of certain things, we'd be shocked to find out they're not even true. Romans chapter eight, verse five says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. How and what you think determines how you behave. What you think and how you think is essential. We cannot experience the abundant life that Christ died to give us if we are out of control in our thinking. You see it time and time again in scripture. We've got to renew our minds. We've got to make sure that our minds line up with his truth. Well, how do we do that? Philippians four tells us, let's just take a look and I'm gonna rapid fire this list. I don't have the time to go through, but just take a look. How do we do, how, how do we think rightly? First thing the Bible tells us to fix our thoughts on, whatever is true. This is the Greek word alethe, which means in accordance with fact. It also means not imaginary. A doctor, Dr. Walter Covert, did a study uh, on what we worry about, and he found that on average, 8% of that which people worry about actually happens, which means that 92% of the things we worry about or are anxious about are either imaginary, never happen, or are completely unnecessary to even think about. They're so insignificant. 8% of the things we worry about don't even happen. It's not even true. If you constantly fixate on that which is not true, you will eventually begin to question that which is true. Don't focus on that which is untrue. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Here's the next thing. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable. The Greek word semna means dignified. Don't focus on undignified or dishonorable things. If you focus on what is dishonorable, don't be surprised. When you find yourself behaving dishonorably, that which you look at, you will eventually walk towards. Don't focus on the dishonorable. The Bible says, only focus on that which is honorable, that which is dignified. The next thing, focus on what is right. This word means fair and equitable. Don't spend time thinking about something being unfair. Move on. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's how we talked when we were six. Don't spend time focusing on that stuff. Fix your thoughts on what is fair and equitable. Inequitable thoughts create instability. Here's the next thing. The Bible says fix your thoughts on what is pure. The word hagnah means holy and without Defect. Impure thoughts make it harder to see purely and properly. If you focus on impure thoughts, it's going to get very difficult to see purely and properly, no matter what you're looking at. Thus, the Bible says, fix your thoughts on that which is pure. The next thing, fix your thoughts on what is lovely. The Greek word prosphile, which means agreeable and amiable. This is a good reminder, as many of us are going to have family time for Thanksgiving. Don't think about argumentative thoughts. Focus on that which is agreeable and amiable. Argumentative thoughts create animosity. and animosity will turn you into an unrestrained animal with anger as your number one strength don't allow your thoughts to be fixated on arguments, on posturing, how you're going to put this person in their place, how you're going to make them feel dumb because you're right and they're wrong. Don't fix your thoughts on those things. The Bible says fix your thoughts on what is lovely, that which is agreeable and amiable. Here's the next thing, what is admirable, means praiseworthy and commendable. If something is not praiseworthy, don't spend time articulating your emotional review of it. Just move past it. If it's not praiseworthy, move on. Don't spend time focusing on it. The next thing, what is excellent? This Greek word means exceptional virtue. Focus on that which is exceptionally virtuous. Virtuous thoughts lead to victory. Vile thoughts lead to being victimized and making victims out of others. Don't fix your thoughts, your mind on vile things. You are giving control of your thought life, of your mind to the devil himself. Virtuous thoughts lead to victory. Vile thoughts lead to you being victimized and making victims out of others. Here's the last thing. Fix your thoughts on what is worthy of praise simply means something people should praise. It's pretty obvious. Don't spend your time thinking about things that are not worthy of God's praise. Let that be your litmus test. I don't know how many hours I spend and have spent with various spouses in counseling situations where I was trying to help them see the good And their spouse, but they were so fixated on the bad that no matter how good the good report was, they couldn't hear it or receive it because all they could see was the bad. And let me just say something. If that's you, I want you to hear this with all of your heart. You don't have a marriage problem, per se. You have a personal problem. And here's the problem. You are not looking at your spouse the way Jesus is. If Jesus only looked at and God only looked at all my faults and failures, nobody's getting in. Then why do we look at the people in our lives and fixate on their faults and failures? And when we do, we can't receive any good report about them. I don't know how many hours I've spent with teenagers when I was a youth pastor and young adults pastor, trying to help them look at the good in their parents but they were so fixated on the bad that they couldn't even see the good gift God gave them. And so they gripe about the bad all the time. Why? Not because their parents are awful. Their perspective is. They're thinking, they're focused on the wrong things. It is impossible to experience the indescribable peace of God when we are out of control in our thought life. Because those thoughts that come from the enemy are at war with the peace of God. Think about it, why is anxiety such a big problem on the earth right now? Because Jesus himself said, listen, I'm giving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the moment the devil heard that speech, it was as though the devil went, wanna bet? Let's just see. You say you're gonna be known for peace, I'm gonna be known for the opposite because I'm the opposite spirit. That's anti-Christ, the opposite. You say you're gonna be known for peace, giving peace to your people, you just watch. I'm gonna give anxiety to every one of them. Where does that start? It starts in the heart and the mind. Right praying, right thinking. Then here's the third, right living. Right living. I know some of you when you hear that phrase are thinking, here we go again, right living, means I'm probably wrong living, I'm living wrongly, I'm doing bad, I've done it again. Okay, I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is some people think by merely doing the right things they will experience peace in this life. Doing the right things does not guarantee peace and it most certainly does not guarantee the peace of God just doing right things. I know a lot of people who don't know God but are doing right things and they still fall asleep at night, struggling to close their eyes because they battle anxiety, depression, worry, fear. Listen to what scripture says. Verse nine, Philippians four says, "'What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, "'practice these things, live them out, "'and when you do, the God of peace will be with you.'" Verse seven says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So what does right living look like? Living in Christ Jesus. But it's really a step further than that because the big question is, what does living in Christ Jesus look like? It looks like Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, he lives through me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What does right living look like? Christ living in and through me. One of the hardest parts about being a parent, being a a husband, is it's really obvious when you're a senior pastor, but you're also a dad and you're also a father and you're human, you're not perfect, it's very easy to know when I'm at home when Christ is living in and through me and when he's not. My children can see it immediately, the difference. My wife can see the difference immediately. When Christ is living in and through me and when I'm living in my own flesh, it's as easy to discern as your first response to something when we are faced with something that's difficult and it causes our heart to to beat faster and it causes our blood pressure to rise and we feel anxious and we feel worried and afraid. One of the ways I know that Christ is not fully living through me is my first response is to get overwhelmed by that which I'm staring at. But truly to allow Christ to live in me and through me means I turn my back on the problem, call a TV timeout, I come over here and I say, Jesus, here's the deal, you saw what just happened, here's how I feel about it, here's what's happening in my heart, I I feel like my blood pressure's rising, I'm I'm very uptight about this situation, and I, I, I just, I don't even know what to do, I'm submitting my feelings to you, I'm submitting my thoughts to you, that's what taking captive every thought, I'm submitting my thoughts to you, and I'm giving you an opportunity before I respond to say what you wanna say about what you just saw. Here's a big question for all of us. Who typically responds first to our problems? Our flesh or our savior? Right living is allowing Jesus to live in and through me. Now, if we took Philippians chapter four verse seven and we broke it down by just taking the Greek words and, and kind of breaking each word down completely and then building or rebuilding the verse back up based on the literal translation of each Greek word. I don't have time to break down every word, but let me read you the verse as it would read if we did so. And the peace of God, a peace so wonderful that it cannot be compared to any other type of peace, a peace that stands in a category by itself, and rises far above and goes beyond anything the human mind could ever think, reason, imagine, or produce by itself. This peace will stand at the entrance of your heart and mind, working like a guard to control, monitor, and screen everything that tries to access your mind, your heart, and your emotion. This, this Greek word that Paul uses, frouereo, means to guard, and the the picture associated with this word, frereo, literally means one who guards violently. And the picture is like a centurion standing outside the city gates. And no one gets into the city without the approval of the guard protecting the city. This is the peace of God. The peace of God stands as the guard on the outside of the gates of your heart and your mind. And here's what the peace of God does as a guard. When that thought comes to your mind, you're gonna die early. The peace of God says, no, that's wrong. That thought did not come from the Father, go. When that thought comes, You're always going to be identified by your worst moment on this earth, your biggest sin. The peace of God says, no, that's wrong. That thought is not from God. When that thought comes to your mind, you're gonna struggle with this addiction your whole life. The peace of God stands outside the door and gate of your heart and mind and says, wrong. That's not the truth. That's not from my Father. The peace of God guards our heart and our mind. And when we feel like it's not, it's simply because we're probably holding on to some things he's asking us to let go of. We're probably not fully letting in all the spirit of God is desiring to bring into our lives that we might build our lives and around and upon it. We're definitely not thinking correctly. We've lost control of our thoughts in some area. And we're certainly probably living in that area of life more through the flesh than allowing Jesus to live through us. God created you not just to need his peace, but to be known for his peace. And there is no better time, I believe, to be a people of God, the family of God, known for the peace of God, than when the anxiety is attacking the whole earth. This peace isn't just good enough for you, it's good enough for all. And as believers in Jesus, we must go first. The peace of God must guard, rule, reign over my heart and my mind. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.